Thank you for joining us today. This is Expository Insights with Pastor Lyle Wall. Today we are going to think about making our lives count. To be more specific, about being fruitful. We are based in the first part of chapter 15 in John's Gospel. Let's get going. Fall is here. With that, the numbers are beginning to trickle in on this year's crops. At this point, we have more descriptions than exact numbers on the Okanagan fruit crop. Let's start with cherries. This year's crop has been described as decent, almost normal, and decent crop, lousy market prices. Apples. It is expected that yields will be down about 15% compared to last year. Grapes. Due to a cold snap last winter, grape production is projected to be down 40 to 55%, with some varieties down 66% from last year. Moving on from fruit to grain in the prairies. Statistics Canada reports that Canadian farmers produced more corn for grain and soybeans this year, but less wheat, canola, barley, and oats. As well, the yields were lower due to dry conditions in western Canada, with wheat yields down over 18% to about 42 bushels an acre. To put that in perspective, it is a long way from the world record for wheat. In 2020, a New Zealand farmer broke his own world record with a 258 bushel per acre harvest. But that record was broken last year by a farmer in the UK who had a yield of 266.9 bushels per acre. That is over six times the average yield in Canada this year. It is the kind of yield Canadian farmers can only dream of. Some farmers have learned to be, shall we say, cautiously optimistic when speaking of their productivity. It's said that one farmer was always complaining. One year there was too much rain. The next, not enough. It was too cold or too hot. If you took him at face value, you would think he never had a good crop in 50 years of farming. One year the weather was just right. Spring was great. The summer temperatures were perfect. The rains came at the right time and in the right amounts, no high winds or hail. A friend decided to give him a bit of a hard time. He looked at the beautiful fields about ready to harvest and said, You certainly have a great-looking bumper crop this year. You can't complain about this. The farmer replied, Yes, it may look that way, but you know, a crop that good is sure hard on the soil. Whether we have had anything to do with farming or not, all of us should have an interest in bumper crops. Spiritual bumper crops in our character and service. In chapters 13 through 16 of John's Gospel, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the most difficult days of their lives now only hours away, the time when he would be crucified. 
Last week in chapter 14, we saw Jesus focusing the disciples on the future, on another helper, the Holy Spirit, who would be with them and in them after he was gone. First part of chapter 15 builds on that as Jesus talks about being fruitful. His main point to them and to us is that God produces a bumper crop in healthy believers. We begin with the reality that God is the source of all real life and fruit. There are many things that we can do all on our own. Organize, put programs into place and buildings up, create heart-touching moments and efficient systems, attract and build a large group of people. But real spiritual life and fruit in our lives comes from God. He is the source of all real life and fruit. Jesus draws a beautiful word picture of this in these verses. He begins by telling us that he is the vine. Have you ever wondered why Jesus used this image? Grapes were a valuable and valued crop in Israel, and God spoke of Israel as a vine in the Old Testament. One place is Psalm 80, where the psalm writer sings of God's work for Israel. You, God, removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its branches. It was sending out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the Euphrates River. Grapevines can live and produce for a long time. The largest grapevine in the world was planted 255 years ago at Hampton Court Palace in the UK. It was planted in a glass house or greenhouse because gardeners then thought that way produced larger crops. This vine is now on its sixth greenhouse is about 4 meters or 13 feet around at the base, with its largest main branches being over 120 feet long. The grapes it produces are sold in the palace gift shops. Jesus did not want us to miss this point that all life and fruit come from him. He painted this picture twice. Look at verse 1. I am the true vine. Drop down to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is the last of Jesus' seven I am statements in this gospel, in which he paints images of who he is and what he does. I am the bread of life, chapter 6. I am the light of the world, chapter 8. I am the door of the sheep, chapter 10. I am the Good Shepherd, also chapter 10. I am the Resurrection and the Life, chapter 11. I am the Way and the Truth and the Life, chapter 14. And now, I am the True Vine. This picture shows us that Jesus and believers are vitally related, that believers are dependent on Him for life and fruit. In fact, 
we fulfill our purpose by being fruitful, just as a grapevine does. That's why Jesus tells us in verse 4 that we cannot bear fruit unless we abide in him, that apart from him, we can do nothing. There must be a deliberate, conscious submission to Christ, seeking his direction, wisdom, and strength, relying on Jesus, the vine. Then Jesus tells us, also in verse 1, that God the Father is the vine dresser. The work of the vine dresser, or gardener in some versions, included routine cultivating, fertilizing, watering, dealing with diseases, and insects. In addition to that, there is cutting away quick-growing suckers that are fruitless, pinching off the tips of branches to keep them from growing too quickly, topping long shoots so the wind doesn't break them, thinning, removing flowers or grape clusters where it is too crowded. Why all of this work? To maximize the fruitfulness of the branches. God the Father, in his perfect knowledge, love, and wisdom, is the vine dresser of each and every believer, of you and me. We are to seek and rely on his loving, gracious, and good work, work that includes encouraging, teaching, and strengthening, and also correcting and disciplining. God is the source of all real life and fruit. Through this work, he produces a bumper crop in healthy believers. Before we move on, let's consider briefly two verses which often raise questions and cause concern. Verse 4 Remain in me, and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. The basic sense is clear. We cannot be fruitful on our own. We must have a vital connection with Christ to be fruitful. Now verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and it dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Some think this says that true believers who do not abide in Christ, who are not fruitful, will lose their salvation. But this is not so, cannot be so, because that contradicts what Jesus teaches in this gospel. In chapter 6, he said that, The one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out, and that he will lose nothing. He will not lose any of them. In chapter 10, he says he gives eternal life. Those who receive it will never perish. No one will snatch them out of his hand. Jesus went on to say, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Others think that Jesus is only referring to believers' works, their fruitfulness, and not at all to salvation. And so these verses, they say, are similar to the judgment of our works that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. While it may sound attractive, Jesus is talking about branches 
not the fruit or grapes on the branches. Let's be clear. Jesus' warning here is real. So what is the warning about? It is a warning about people who follow and believe, but who do not really fully trust him for salvation. We know this from what we have seen before in this gospel. Chapter 8 tells us that many came to believe in Jesus after his teaching. He went on to challenge their belief and clearly stated that he is God. Then some of those who had believed in him tried to stone him. There is superficial belief that does not lead to salvation. It is those that Jesus is speaking of in verse 6. We see that in Jesus' parable of the sower and the soils in Matthew chapter 13. The gospel comes to some who are like rocky soil, having no depth. There is an immediate response, but it quickly withers away. Again, there are some who hear the gospel and respond, but are like thorny ground, which chokes it out. In both cases, there was a response, a kind of belief, but not true belief resulting in salvation. It is superficial belief. It is not true, saving, life-changing belief. One writer, over a hundred years ago, put it this way, If there be any real union, there will be some life. And if there be any life, there will be some fruit. And, therefore, the branch that has no fruit has no life, because it has no real union. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said that in the final judgment, many will say they prophesied, cast out demons, and performed miracles in his name, to whom Jesus will say, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. They professed belief and accomplished many things, but did not have true saving faith in Jesus. God is the source of all real life and belief. God produces a bumper crop in healthy believers. But what does it mean to be a healthy believer? What does he or she look like? Jesus gives us three marks here, three marks which are essential, non-negotiable, to be healthy and fruitful believers. First is vital contact with God. Jesus uses the word abide or remain 12 times in these 17 verses. You don't have to be a plant scientist to know that a branch cannot hop off a vine and then live and bear fruit on its own. We cannot be fruitful unless we stay connected, in vital contact with Jesus. Internet service has improved over the years, but is still not perfect. It is not always fruitful in that from time to time we don't have a connection. We know what no connection to the Internet and no service for our cell phones means. At those times, these devices cannot fulfill their function. 
A healthy believer is one who maintains a consistent, vital relationship with God. So what does that mean? What does it involve? We can look at the full scope of Scripture here, but let's start with this chapter. Drop down to verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words abide in you. Vital contact with Jesus involves having his word, his truth, scripture, abiding, settling down, and staying within us, not as an occasional visitor. Reading, thinking through, applying, living the truth of the Bible is essential to have vital contact with Jesus. How are you doing? We continue in verse 7, as Jesus tells us, If his word abides in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Consistent prayer is essential to have vital contact with Jesus. Again, how are you doing? As we look more broadly at the scripture, we know that maintaining a vital connection with Jesus is not just an individual or isolated thing. I won't trace out details now, but you know them. Worship, praise, fellowship, and service are all part of this. And again, it is not just on an individual basis, but as we do these things together. That is part of God's design for us as his people. Another requirement of being a healthy believer is having loving contact with God. Jesus gives us a command in verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. We see this elsewhere in the Bible as well. The brief book of Jude directs us, keep yourselves in the love of God. Question. How has God the Father loved God the Son, Jesus? Remember that the love of God is more than a warm, fuzzy feeling. It involves the feelings, attitude, commitment, and actions that are focused on the best for the one who is loved. That is how God the Father loves God the Son. This is how Jesus loves you seen supremely in his coming into this world as one of us to rescue you from sin and death to everlasting life with himself. Isn't that beyond amazing? A theologian was asked, What is the most profound truth you have ever discovered in Scripture? He immediately answered, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I like the blessing Moses gave to the tribe of Benjamin, recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 33. May the beloved of the Lord, that is, the ones God loves, live in security beside him who shields him all the day long, and he lives between God's shoulders. Don't you love that? This is the love we are to enjoy, have at the base of our relationship with Jesus. Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus that they, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. You see, we can't quickly answer without much thought, saying, Of course I love Jesus, and move on to the next point. So we need to answer another question. How do we, how do I remain in Christ's love? Jesus gets specific in the next verse. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And there's more in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If we really love God, we are obeying him. Jesus is not talking about earning or keeping our salvation. It's impossible for us to do either of those. He is talking about devotion to him with all our heart, soul, mind, with all of our being, with all that we are. He is talking about learning and living his revealed will in the scriptures. Once again, we go back to the truth of chapter 13, verse 17. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. How are you doing in obeying God? Are you obeying Him willingly and completely? That is, are you obeying Him out of love and gratitude, following all the truth He has given you that you know at this point? It is not about perfection, but about complete devotion and growing in following God. As it has often been said, when it is all said and done, obeying God partially is still disobeying Him. Are there areas and things you rationalize as not being a big deal? Again, how are you doing in obeying God? Obeying Him is a key mark test of your love for him and loving contact with God is a mark of being a healthy and fruitful believer. One more mark of a healthy believer is loving contact with others. Here we move from the vertical relationship with God to the horizontal relationship with others. Look at verse 12 again. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. He concluded this instruction by saying, verse 17, This I command you, that you love one another. Loving contact with others. Turn back in your mind to what we saw of how Jesus loves you. Is that how you are loving others? Real love for others means serving others. Real love for others means sacrificing for others. Real love for others means giving priority to them. How are you doing in loving others?
When we think of being fruitful, we start with God, who is the source of all life and real fruit. A fruitful believer, one in whom God produces a bumper crop, is a healthy believer. So, how do we measure fruitfulness? What does the fruit look like? What is this fruit? Jesus shows us some of what the bumper crop God produces in healthy believers looks like. We start with the fruit of effective prayer. I briefly mentioned consistent prayer earlier. Now let's sharpen that focus. Jesus makes some clear statements on prayer at this point. Verse 7 If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Drop down to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. We can read these words and have questions. We might think, that isn't my experience. Remember, this section deals with fruit, with bumper crops. Effective prayer is the fruit God gives to healthy believers, not perfect believers, but healthy believers. We've looked at some of what it means to be healthy. We also need to remember, as I pointed out a few weeks ago, that the Bible's overall teaching on prayer is not found in one place in the Bible, but throughout it. There are a number of different components of effective prayer. We also need to remember that the purpose of prayer is not to find the secret combination to the divine vending machine, nor is it to change God's mind, but to align ourselves with God, His perfect, loving will, seeking that for ourselves, our families, our church, our world. Effective prayer is the fruit of spiritual health. I have seen effective prayer God answered in children praying to find a lost toy, in old and tired saints asking God to take them home, in elders praying over people who are ill, in people who are desperate and know they need God's intervention so they can hold on, in people praying for understanding and wisdom in people praying for strength to be obedient and to gain victory. There is much I do not understand, but I know that effective prayer is part of God's bumper crop in healthy believers. As well, there is the fruit of plentiful and eternal results. The word fruit occurs eight times in these verses. Fruit, results are important to God, whether in creation, in the provision of salvation, the future final judgment, or the daily course of your life, results are important to God. It is often said that what is important, or even all that is important, is being faithful. That is true as long as we understand that faithfulness 
being spiritually healthy, leads to fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is central to our purpose. Our problem with results is when we define them as the world does, as mainly external. For example, people who are more focused on numbers than they are focused on people fall into that trap. Jesus not only wants you to be fruitful, he also wants to make you fruitful, bearing fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. This is not just some of us, nor is it just some of the time, but he will make every healthy believer fruitful on an ongoing basis. Think about this last week in terms of fruit and eternal results in your life. It starts with the fruit within us, Christ-like character. We should see some of this fruit and a growth in this fruit. As Paul wrote, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We don't always know the extent of the fruit God produces in us. We don't always see how God uses our prayers, encouragement, willingness to listen, sharing the truth of Jesus in the short run, or even in this life. But we should see some of the fruit God produces. That can start with seeing the evidence of God producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us. God uses us and this Christ-like character to accomplish His work in people around us. God uses our generosity and commitment beyond ourselves and local area through missions to provide a bumper crop of His work in people, most of which we will not see here on earth. If we are healthy in terms of vital and loving contact with God and others, there will be the fruit of plentiful and eternal results for which we should praise God. Then Jesus mentions the fruit of overflowing joy. In verse 11 he says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Another version states it this way, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Why did Jesus single this out here at this time? The coming hours and days would be dark and tough for the disciples. In spite of that, Jesus told them that they could have God's own joy, that their joy would overflow. That is still true for us in our best and worst times. Joy that is the real thing, a steadfast being as we ought to be. Joy that really fulfills, doesn't tease. We all know something of how valuable, important joy is, both in its presence and absence. Overflowing joy is part of the fruit God produces 
in healthy believers. Recall Paul's comments about the Macedonian believers. In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Whatever you face, whatever turmoil, trouble, and trials you go through, God can and will produce the fruit of His joy to be with you as you live faithfully, as you are spiritually healthy. When we think about why God has us here and what lies ahead of us, one of our key goals should be to be fruitful. And Jesus tells us that he produces a bumper crop in healthy believers. Thank God that he wants you to be fruitful, and more than that, he will make it happen as you pay attention to and fulfill your part of being spiritually healthy. Think about how you are doing. Is it important to you that you are faithful? Do you think and live knowing God is the source of all real life and fruit for you? Review the state of your spiritual health in terms of what Jesus describes in these verses. What evidence do you see? How is the crop doing? Then make a commitment to God to deliberately, consciously abide, remain in Christ, to be spiritually healthy, to change and grow and keep on changing and growing. Bow with me in prayer. God, our loving and faithful Father, thank you that you have saved us and that you are always at work in us by the Holy Spirit to lead us, teach us, correct us, and to make us fruitful. Thank you that spiritual health and fruitfulness is not limited to just some believers, but is for all of us. We rededicate ourselves to you, to your work in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.